All right, we are continuing through Unit 4 of Jews, Israel, and Jesus. And Unit 4 is Prophets Foretell of Messiah. And we have made our way up to point G of Unit 4, which is Isaiah's Servant Songs. So very similar to the way that we covered the Psalms. And as we go through this unit, many more scriptures and passages from the Psalms are going to be referred to. But just like we went through the Psalms in the last couple of classes— it's not going to be possible for us to touch upon everything that is included in the servant songs of Isaiah, but we'll read through them and touch on the key points, and you can use the scriptures that are in your study guide to go as deep as you want to go in doing more and more homework on these precious servant songs that are in the book of Isaiah. Well, Unlike the Psalms, which, as we said, focus on the kingship and the divinity and the authority and the power and the ruling over all creation of the Messiah, the servant songs tend to emphasize the servant's humanity, his reliance upon God, his suffering and even rejection by people, and then his ultimate vindication from God, which he then turns around to share with the rest of the people. So this is a very important element of the work of Messiah that has been overlooked by people who are looking for that victorious lion to come and bring judgment upon all enemies of God and usher in the time of peace in the world to come. But they miss out on the fact that the scriptures also foretell of a suffering servant who will serve God and be vindicated by him. And for this reason, there are even Jewish people or widely held beliefs among Jews today that there are actually two different representations of Messiah. One is the son of David, who is the king who will come and rule and reign, and the other is what they call the son of Joseph, who is the suffering one. So there is an understanding of this, but there's been failure on the part of the Jewish people to understand that Jesus is the embodiment and fulfillment of both of those elements in one. So now with that covered, First of all, in Unit 3, I think it was point I, we talked about one of the servant songs from Isaiah 42. So we're not going to cover that here because we already covered that in Unit 3. But from Isaiah 42, that was where we talked about the singular, not the whole nation of Israel, but a singular servant of God who would be anointed by God's Spirit, who would come and would not be discouraged until total righteousness and justice was established in the earth, and who would be a light for the nations in addition to a covenant for the people of God, because God was doing a new thing. You can go back to unit 3.i to hear Isaiah 42 and Isaiah's servant song from Isaiah 42 again if you want to. But I didn't want to do a repeat of that here. We're going to begin actually with Isaiah 49. This is also significant of understanding the work of the Messiah and different aspects of his life his ministry, and his purpose. So Isaiah 49, verses 1 through 13. Listen to me, O coastlands, and give attention, you peoples from afar. So right off the bat, he's calling to all the ends of the earth. He's calling to all the nations. He's not just calling to the people of Israel. Yes, Jesus' ministry was to the Jew first, and his earthly ministry was only to the Jewish people. But this servant song is going to blast that open from the people of Israel to the rest of the world, which we talked about in Unit 3. That is God's purpose through his people 
to bring his blessing to all the nations of the world. So this starts right off the bat with that. It continues. The Lord called me from the womb. From the body of my mother, he named my name. And of course, Jesus fulfills that, which we've talked about already. We're up to verse 2. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. He said to me, You are my servant, Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Now again, servant is singular. It is singular, but this servant represents the whole embodiment of the people of Israel. So as an example, just like the king was the head of the people, and so if the king were in error, then the people would be judged because the king was in error, or if the king was righteous and leading the people correctly, then the king would be blessed. And there are scriptures that back that up, that the capital city is the head of the nation, and the king is the head of the capital city, so therefore the king is the head of the nation, the representation of the whole nation. So this is He's saying, you are my servant, Israel, but this servant is representing the whole nation. We're up to verse 4. But I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and vanity. So the servant looks at his life and says, I failed. I failed to accomplish the mission. But the scripture goes on, yet surely my right is with the Lord and my recompense with my God. So he feels like he has failed, that his labor has been in vain, but he is trusting God for total vindication. We're up to verse five. And now the Lord says, he who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him and that Israel might be gathered to him. So that's his purpose, right? What did Jesus do? He came and he said, I'm going only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Jesus was bringing Jacob, the rebellious Jacob, back to the Lord, that Israel might be gathered back to the Lord. That was his purpose. And he goes on to say, for I am honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has become my strength. So because God chose him and honored him, he chose him for the honorable task of restoring God's beloved people to himself. What a great honor, the beloved, chosen, precious possession of God, this servant's job and mission was to bring the treasured possession back to God. And at the same time, he has learned to rely on God entirely as his strength, because who can bring Israel, the rebellious Israel, back to God if they're not using the strength of God himself? Or up to verse 6, he says, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. As if it's a small thing to accomplish what no man in the history of mankind has been able to do. Nah, that's too light a thing only to restore the people of Israel. So the scripture continues. I will make you as a light for the nations, that means the Gentiles, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. So there it is. God is is fulfilling his purpose through his servant Israel. This singular servant who's representing the whole nation is now extending the salvation of God, the blessing of God, the love of God to the ends of the earth and all the Gentiles who previously had no access because they are uncircumcised and not included in God's covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and they're not obedient to the law of God. All right, so we're up to verse 7. 
Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel and His Holy One, to one deeply despised, abhorred by the nation— what? So this servant is coming, and he's going to restore the people to God, but now this is saying he is deeply despised and abhorred by the nation? So Jesus fulfills this. Jesus was rejected by the people of Israel, and we'll talk about that in a later unit of how he was rejected by the people, but all of that was in fulfillment of God's perfect plan, including this scripture right here. He was deeply despised and abhorred and rejected by the nation. That was according to God's perfect plan. The scripture continues, The servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes, and they shall prostrate themselves because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel who has chosen you. So the nations are going to come, kings are even going to bow down, princes will get on their faces before the God of Israel because the God of Israel has chosen this servant to represent him and to share his salvation with the rest of the nation, including the rulers of the earth. We're up to verse 8. Thus says the Lord, In a time of favor I have answered you. In a day of salvation I have helped you. And the Apostle Paul, post-resurrection, he says, Now is the time of favor. Today is the day of salvation. Why? Because Jesus, through being rejected by the people of Israel, through his sacrifice and death on a cross, through his resurrection from the dead, and his ascension into heaven and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. He has made the day of salvation available to everyone to the ends of the earth that will put their faith in him and call him Lord. Hallelujah. The scripture continues, I will keep you and give you as a covenant to the people. So that is, Jesus is the new covenant. He says, this is my body. This is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. Jesus has become the covenant for the people of Israel. Now, we're going to talk about covenant in a later unit. And the new covenant, Jeremiah says that the new covenant is God's new covenant between God and the people of Israel. But it's that new covenant that is extended through Israel to the rest of the nations of the world. So Jesus, he is the one who has been kept by God and given by God as a covenant for the people. The scripture continues, to establish the land, to apportion the desolate heritages. That means inheritance. So this also includes restoring the people of Israel to their land and to the inheritances that were promised to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and also to their tribal ancestors. And we're going to talk about the return to the land in a later unit as well. But for now, we're going to keep going. We're up to verse 9, saying to the prisoners, Come out to those who are in darkness, appear. They shall feed along the ways. On all bare heights shall be their pasture. They shall not hunger or thirst. Neither scorching wind nor sun shall strike them. For he who has pity on them will lead them, and by springs of water will guide them. And I will make all my mountains a road, and my highways shall be raised up. 
Behold, these shall come from afar, and behold, these from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Syen. So I know we're passing through a lot of scriptures, but you see that the restoration of the people, not only to the Lord, but also to the land, is included in the work of this Messiah, this servant, this chosen, holy, anointed one of God. We're up to verse 13. Sing for joy, O heavens, and exalt, O earth. Break forth, O mountains, into singing. There's all of creation praising God again. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have compassion on his afflicted. So God, just like in the days of Egyptian slavery, when the people were groaning in their slavery, God saw their affliction. God heard their groaning and God came down to redeem and rescue them and draw them out. Well, Jesus, he has come down to have compassion first and foremost on his people, Israel, who even through their own sin have been sent into exile and who have not been able to fulfill the righteous requirement of God or the purpose of God, but God has compassion on them. He has not despised or rejected them like a handkerchief to be thrown out. No, the work of the servant, even as he is rejected by the nation, is to bring comfort to them. And then a cross-reference on this, this is listed in your study guide along with many other scriptures that I encourage you to look into. But remember, in the temple, in the days of Jesus, when Jesus was just a baby and his parents were bringing him into the temple, there was a man named Simeon, and Simeon was waiting for what? Simeon was waiting for the consolation of Israel, the comfort of Israel. Simeon was waiting for the Isaiah 49 servant of God. Simeon was waiting for the comfort of the Lord for his people, the comfort for the Lord, the compassion that he had for his people who had been afflicted for so long. And when he saw Jesus, he said, now I can go and die in peace because I have seen the comfort comfort and the salvation of God. This one will be the glory of Israel and a light to the nations. He's quoting from Isaiah 49. He recognizes Jesus even as a baby because the Spirit of the Lord was upon him. He recognized that Jesus is the fulfillment of the Isaiah 49 servant. All right, well, Isaiah chapter 50 also includes a servant song. So we're going to read through Isaiah 50, verses 4 through 9. The Lord has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Now consider Jesus. Jesus, he knew the word of God perfectly. Jesus is the word of God. He is the word of God who became flesh. But he did not come to condemn. No, he came to save. He did not come to say, oh, you're weary? Well, you shouldn't be weary. You should be righteous, and you haven't been following the law correctly, and you haven't been doing God's requirements correctly. No, he spoke with a word that would sustain the weary and set free the captives, even those captive from their own error and sin. 
Jesus is the Word of God. He taught the Word of God perfectly, accurately, because God gave him the tongue of those who are taught. The scripture continues, morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. So Jesus was perfectly obedient. The scripture says he did only what he saw the Father doing. He said only what he heard the Father saying, and that his teaching was not his own, but the teaching that he gave was the fathers, the teaching that the Father had given him. And he said, anyone, if it's your will to do the will of God, you will know whether the teaching is my own or whether it is from the Father. But he's saying, my ear, he is obedient. And I'm reminded even of Psalm 40. Psalm 40 is sacrifice and offering you have not desired, but my ear you have opened to hear you. And I delight to do your will, O my God. But for now, we're up to verse 5 of Isaiah 50. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. Jesus was not rebellious. He went obediently even unto death. Even though he was God himself, he did not count equality with God as something to be grasped, but took on the form of a servant. He was not rebellious, and he obeyed even unto death. The scripture continues, I turned not back. Backwards. I gave my back to those who strike, and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting, but the Lord God helps me. Therefore, I have not been disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. So Jesus, there's a scripture in the book of Luke where Jesus sets his course for Jerusalem. He sets his face like flint. He has told his disciples either two or three times, depending on where it is in the book of Luke. I can't remember how many times he's told them already that he's going to go to the cross, but he's told them, and he has set his face like flint. He is on his way to Jerusalem. He has told his disciples that he's going to be crucified, and he is ready to give his back to those who will strike him, to give his face to those who will spit on him, to be rejected and abhorred by the people because he believes and he is assured that God will raise him from the dead on the third day, that God's purpose will be fulfilled in his life, and he will not be put to shame, for his hope is in God, his Father, and he is living obediently, righteously, according to the will of God. So we go on, verse 8. He who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who is my adversary? Let him come near to me. Behold, the Lord God helps me. Who will declare me guilty? So this servant, he knows that he is perfectly righteous. Jesus is the only person who was perfectly righteous in all his ways to every point of the law his entire life life. No one can declare him guilty, and therefore he is totally confident that God will vindicate him for the wrong that is done to him. He does not defend himself. When he stands before his false accusers, he utters not a word because he knows he is innocent and he entrusts himself to God. That's another scripture from Peter where he says when he was reviled, he reviled not in return, but entrusted himself to the one who
who judges rightly. We're going to continue in Isaiah 50. Behold, all of them will wear out like a garment. The moth will eat them up. Now, Psalm 102 says that this earth, this world is going to wear out and be changed out like a garment. So the ones who are accusing Jesus, the ones who are not putting their faith in Jesus, the ones who reject Jesus and say that he was crucified because he was an evil man or a blasphemer or that he deserved it, they also will wear out like a garment just like this world. They will not enter into eternal life. They will return to the dust. They will go on to eternal condemnation. The moth will kill and eat and destroy. So this servant of Isaiah 50, he speaks the teaching of God, but he is beaten and rejected by the people, even though he is righteous and he knows that God will vindicate him. Mm 